guess we can go ahead and get started. A lot to cover, I think. It feels like a lot just as you're looking through the notes. If I go as fast as I did last time, maybe it won't be so long. It'll be quick. Um, so today is chapter 7 of our book from Tim Keller called Forgive. Just a show of hands, how many people have this book and have been reading along? Not, not required reading, just wondered. Okay. Bobby kind of gave me the half up, half down hand there. Yeah. Not, again, not, not a requirement. Just uh, wondering how many people have already read through material. I'm going to regurgitate to you again or, or what it is. So um, this is chapter seven of this book. Uh, and this chapter is entitled The Basics of Forgiveness. Um, before we get started, um, before I get too far, let me go ahead and pray. Uh, ask the Lord to bless our time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, pause and just thank you for another day, another breath, uh, another uh, opportunity to come, gather together, to study your word, uh, to be fed by it, uh, and ultimately to, to bring you uh, glory, uh, to worship you in all that we do and say today. We pray, Lord, that you would cause a deep stir in our hearts for um, for this uh, specific topic of forgiveness, uh, Lord, we can all be so blind. Uh, we pray that you would open our eyes to see uh, we, where we are lacking forgiveness, uh, where we are not acting as Christ has called us to act uh, in this regard. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this time, uh, strengthen each, each and every one of us here with, uh, with the stuff that is presented uh, from Keller in this book and ultimately from your word. So we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so today we'll be working through the basic uh, components of forgiveness with um, kind of working through two passages that, um, that Keller points us to, two passages from Jesus about forgiveness, uh, speaking to his disciples. Um, those two passages, so just so you're, you're ready for them, is Mark 11, 25 and Luke 17, 3 through 4. So we'll start in Mark 11 if you want to turn there. I'll also have it up here, but you can, uh, I'll have it up here if I remember to use it quicker. All right. Always afraid how that's going to show up on the screen, whether you can see it or not. Um, so, kind of before we start, I don't know, since everybody with the, with the lack of hands shown of people that have been reading through this book, um, it may mean that you may have missed some, missed some other Sunday schools. Uh, anything so far from the first six chapters of this book that have really um, stuck in your mind of like, this is something I, need, I needed to hear, needed to hold on to. Um, I've even missed a couple of the sessions, and so... Just wondering, you know, as we're going through this, if there's some, there's always some gems in, in these studies that you feel like you, um, like this will stick with me for the rest of my life in how I live as a believer. Um, and if you can't come up, kind of putting everybody on the spot to like, hey, give me your gems right now. Um, if you don't have any, be thinking about them. We can come back to that question kind of at the end if we have some time. 
but I'm just wa- just wondered if there were some things so far that people have been really impacted by so far in this book. Anybody? Don't be shy. Or be shy and we'll talk about it later. Okay. So that is going to be half of the piece of today. The the big one of the I'll say the two big pieces of this today. So I'm glad you I'm glad that's something that you point us to. So uh, Art had said, um, not just the idea of forgiveness, but pointing out the, did you say injustice? or Okay, injustice being done. Injustice. Okay, so the injustice specifically, someone sins against you, um, we'll go there. That's where we're going today. A huge piece of where we're going today. Okay, so not this passage, though. This is Mark 11.25. You probably already read it again as I was sitting here talking. Um, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Um, So just a quick grammatical point that this, the use of the forgive them here is in the present tense of the imperative which provides the strongest possible emphasis for this verb, which I'm going to defer to Blake that that is probably correct. That's what Keller said, so we're going there. Um, But the impact of forgive, the the command to forgive, forgive now, not future tense, not not some past tense, you have forgiven. It is a forgive in the now, in the present. so let's be careful that we don't fall into the trap of thinking that if we forgive as Jesus commands here, then the Father must forgive us. Um, on its face, I think that we can get caught off guard by the state, like a statement like this in the Bible, um, but this understanding of the passage would contradict other scriptural passages. Um, so if this passage is not pointing us to merited favor from God, then what is it? Um, Keller says, to be unforgiving reveals that you have failed to understand and accept the unmerited grace yourself. To say with, with more of a punch, if you are living a life characterized by unforgiveness, you may not truly be a child of the Father. Perhaps uh, you thought that uh, your contrition and reparations before God earned his favor, uh, using shame and remorse as a kind of good works. Um, that we hope to gain us a favor with God. So I hope that that's not your first uh, thought as you hear this, this passage from, uh, from Christ, uh, this, this single verse from Christ. Uh, but I think we can get caught off guard with that. People may even say something to, uh, to that end um, that we would need to be ready to say, no, 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 that's not what Christ is saying here. So I think that's uh, important that we're, we're making that distinction and keeping that in our mind as we, as we are hearing this. Um, so how do we know um, if we are caught up in this type of thinking? Um, so we must be willing to humbly admit that we are lost people in need of God's grace. And the joy that com- comes from knowing that we are accepted 
through Christ is the way we can truly begin down the path of forgiving others. So I'm going to read a longer quote from Keller that I'm going to go ahead and put up here just so you can see it. Uh, Without the humility that sees yourself as equally deserving of condemnation and without the joy of knowing you're standing in Christ's love, it will be impossible to give up your desire for revenge. Therefore, to be forgiven and not forgiving, to have obtained mercy and not be merciful, is in reality to have failed to experience God's gracious acceptance and makes a mockery of prayer, which is the context of which that um, specific command is given. Um, Jesus' points, uh, Jesus' point here is if you realize you have not forgiven someone, do it right away. So any thoughts up to this point? I know that's maybe that was a simple, simple thing. Uh, Jesus is commanding us to forgive and to do it now. And when you realize it, when he brings it to your mind, when the Spirit's working in us, causing us to see that we are not, we have not forgiven someone, that's the moment where we're asking the Lord to work in us and cause us to have a desire for forgiveness and then to actually forgive that person. So the next passage, uh, Luke 17, 3 through 4. Again, it's up here. You don't have to turn there. but um, The last passage really held out the idea of forgiveness only with, with not much else there, just the Lord's command to forgive. Um, now let's take a look at this passage and see that there's two responsibilities being put, here, uh, put on display here. Pay attention to... To yourselves, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So what are the two things uh, or two responsibilities Christ is calling us to here? Rebuke. Rebuke and forgive. If someone sins against you, rebuke or confront them, um, and then if if they repent, forgive them. There's there's no other if ands buts or anything else in that. It's if if they if you rebuke them and they repent, forgive. And so both of these passages are commands to forgive. Um, let's don't lose sight of that because I think we can get off track that. There are still both calls to forgive. Um, to the rebuke aspect, I think this is what Tom was getting at last week in his comments about not letting the offense linger, um, uh, but conf- confronting someone, it's act- actually an act of love. Um, so it's actually not a loving thing to do to just let it go, because ultimately um, it is more than likely not Go, uh, not letting it go, but stuffing it under the, under the rug. So there's a good chance that by saying we're just, oh, I forgive someone in my heart without confronting them, there's a good chance that you're really not actually practicing forgiveness in that moment. You, If you're like me, maybe it's just me. I'm probably really just heaping up all of these things that I'm upset with this person about, right? And I may not, I may not rebuke them now, but they're going to get a pretty good rebuking later when I've got all of these other things stacked up to 
to tell them about, which is not what he's calling us to here. It's if someone sins against us, rebuke, and if they repent, forgive. Um, so I think that that just further um, kind of draws out exactly what Art was saying. Again, um, something that you were talking about from last week. Um, so this is not a call for us only uh, to only confront our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also unbelievers. I think that that's the case. Keller doesn't necessarily make that point. I think that this is not just a call for us to confront or rebuke believers. I think it's absolutely that in the community of believers. But I think that there is some aspect of that also that, that has to be with unbelievers as well. So it is equal parts rebuke and forgive. Um, so how are we all doing with this? How's it going in, in each of our lives? Do you, do you feel like this is something we, we do well? Uh, probably not. Again, if you're like me, that's probably not the case. Um, so how are, you, how are you characterized? Are you always ready to confront and challenge, but slow to forgive? Or... Are you all, do you always forgive without any desire to confront someone who has sinned against you? I think that that's probably where we fall off of this side one or the, one or the other ways. I don't think that at least nobody said, yep, they're killing it in this area, so I'm going to assume what you're on one side or the other. Blake? Absolutely. So I don't know if I could possibly say that all again for the recording. <laughs> uh, but the idea, even at the very end of that, of that we, we've got to look at the, how, how the rest of Scripture looks at forgiveness for a more fuller, systematic view of how is this actually done? How is this actually accomplished? This is two big pieces of that, but also not leaving those alone to stand as these are this is the full thing. Um, that was a terrible uh, summarization of what you said, Blake. Um, so this is difficult, right? We, we, talk, we talked about this last, last week too, that it can be very scary for us to confront someone who has sinned against us, especially in the body. I think it's, sometimes we can go like, oh, somebody, an unbeliever, I can go confront them. No, no hard feelings. I have to see you guys every week. Some of you multiple times a week. If you've sinned against me or if I've sinned against you, for you to come and, and confront me, that's going to take some courage, some amount of, I don't really want to do this. This is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Um, so I think that that's something we, we have to continue to keep in our minds, that this is not easy to do, um, but it is something we're called to do. Um, it would be much easier for me to just forgive someone in my own heart and never bring it up again. Um, but we know that that's unbiblical, and I think it actually hurts both people, and there's, I think there's really never any real reconciliation without that, no matter how, try, how hard you try to forgive somebody in your own heart. Um, there's, there's really no true reconciliation there unless you take that to that other person so jesus also makes the point that someone may 
sin against you seven times in a day. And Keller makes the point that this is not actually the norm. Please don't ask my wife how many times I sin against her in a day. She may say differently. Or two siblings. How many times in a day did the siblings fighting over their own, their own world to be had? I mean, it's, he says that, but I'm like, I don't know. I, I see it sometimes. So, sorry. Uh, so seven times a day. Um, but his point here is that if someone can sin against you that many times in a day, and you're called to forgive them that many times in a day, then this cannot be some long, drawn-out process of um, self, whatever he calls it. Um, yeah, self-flagellation. Um, that, that that can't possibly be the model that he's talking about here if he's, if he's saying it with, uh, with this emphasis, that someone could sin against you multiple times in a day, and if they come to you and ask for forgiveness, they repent, you're called to forgive them then and there. Um, and there's no other stipulations to that. Not if you do this, 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 and this afterwards. There's none of that. It's just a call to repentance and forgiveness. Um, because they may sin against you again later on in the day. Um, and so I think that that's an important, while it may not be his main focus here, I think it's definitely an underlying point um, that's in that. So then what is the goal or what is the true goal of... Oh, David, before I ask. Okay. Yeah, before I... You want to answer that? I was going to say, we've got to be careful with what you say. Yeah. So, to... Yeah, I think that's, I was going to answer that, but I wanted to let Tom answer that as well, is that I do think that this is, we're talking about the level of we're sinning against one another. Um, someone does something, to, somebody bumps you in the grocery store and says they're sorry. Maybe they even knocked all your stuff over. Or maybe you walked outside and they hit your, you just lost a bunch of money worth of groceries. And all they say is a sorry. I mean, that's, there's a difference between like someone sinning against you and some something that's happened, an accident, I think we have to be careful to not equate those things exactly the same. But also, um, I think it does come down to, if it's something like that and someone says, sorry, it didn't. it's not what we're talking about even in true uh, repentance either. I mean, you, do, you, you accidentally break someone's tool and you tell them you're genuinely sorry, you buy them another one. I mean, there's not, you know, there's not much else there to be done in that sense. It's not like um, what we're, I think what he's kind of calling us to, and again, to Tom's point, the, um, I think there is a level of um, rebuke today is looked at very differently than rebuke used to be uh, seen. The word even rebuke, it's, I, I almost use con confront most of the time here because the word rebuke has such a negative connotation, not that it's not supposed to have some connotation, but that it's, that's not the focus of it. It's coming to someone. Um, we'll go into that too. There's a lot more that's going to be said about that. No, no, I'm just kidding. I, don't, we're, I think we're going to get there too. I think there's a, I'll, we'll try to flesh out a better answer for you coming. Um, my initial thought is to say no, not necessarily, but for a specific reason, but we'll go there.
Blake. <laughs> yeah, so I think part of the answer that I would give, now that I'm thinking about it, I may not answer it as well as I wanted to before, but my natural inclination is to not rebuke, is to not go seek um, seek restoration. So if that's my natural bend, there's probably a good chance I'm stuffing a lot of offenses that are like, oh, it's okay, I, I forgive them in my heart, you know what I mean? So I think it's, it's, a, it's a very slippery slope for that to become your method of operation, um, to continue always going, well, I'm just overlooking that sin. Oh, that, that wasn't a big deal. That wasn't a big deal to me. It didn't bother me that much. I can take a lot. That may not be everybody. You know, not everybody has thick skin in that way. And if that's not your bend, then you're probably more prone to just fly off the rails and go to somebody in a in a um, in a way that is rebuking, but not in the way that we're I think we're called we're called to rebuke. So I think again, it's it's the balancing act of that whole thing. So is the goal is the real goal of forgiveness inner healing. Is that the true goal of forgiveness? Some no's, some yeses, no? All no? Yes. So another goal it's not is just for seeking justice. Um, the, both of those things are secondary to the primary goal of forgiveness, which is restoration restoration specifically in the community. If we're talking about this in the context of believers, it's absolutely about restoration of the community between and between individuals. Um, so Keller says, forgiveness, um, forgiveness's purpose here is not to humiliate, defeat, or drive out sinners, but to correct and restore them. It is often easier to turn a blind eye to sin in the community. That just gives me anxiety just looking at that picture. It's ridiculous. So it takes a great balance. It takes great balance to walk the line of forgiveness and rebuke. Um, we must rely on the Holy Spirit just as this man relies on the lanyard attached to the tightrope for his life. He probably trained tirelessly for this moment, but still puts his full trust not in his own efforts, but in the lanyard for his ultimate safety. I won't chase that analogy any further. That's just what my mind went to. Just stop it there. That's it. Um, but I think it really is a picture of the balance that we have to, we have to desire that balance. We have to desire the idea that we will be called to rebuke, but we are just as called to forgive. And if that's the case, how are we actively pursuing that in our relationships, especially in this body, especially with other believers? Maybe. And if no one ever comes to confront you about your sin in your life, then is that somewhat of a picture of maybe I'm not confrontable, or if that's a, a word, <laughs> you know, if... If that's the if I'm noticing in my own life that no one ever calls me out on my sin, 
then maybe I maybe they are scared to death to say anything to me. Maybe I'm that person because I mean I feel like I can be that way at some point. So I think that that is a good point too, though. Um, so here they are again, side by side. So what are some false conclusions that we might draw from each of these passages? I think we've, we may have touched on some of these already. Things we've already said, be free to share any of those things. Things that might be um, false conclusions might be drawn from these two passages. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it, I think it can be. I mean, I think that some, someone that's not a believer comes to us and we've sinned against them. Are, are we not? I mean, I think it goes both ways. I think it can be. Um, we talked about this in previous lessons that maybe makes me a little bit uncomfortable about the way that Keller talks about all of this forgiveness being in the context of of believers only. I understand what he's saying um, to say that we only know how to forgive because of the vertical forgiveness that is there. So if that's where we're going to stop that, I'll say, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's what we're talking about. But there is, I mean, there's plenty of um, real world examples of people that are forgiving someone who's done major atrocities against them and to say that we're just going to go, oh, nope, that doesn't count. I don't know exactly where that puts us. But if we're talking about being forgiven by God first is the only way that we can truly extend forgiveness to somebody, then I, I think that's where we're, we're at. So if that's the context here as well, it makes it hard to be outside of, the, outside of a, a body of believers or between believers when we're talking about this. I mean, the call is for brothers. Yeah, or or oh, that's not hurt. That's not hurting you any. I go ahead, Marty. <laughs> yeah. So two kind of two things with that. Oh. Absolutely right. I mean, it's there's a chance that that goes completely the opposite way in which you expected it to. But it's still speak truth and love, right? That's still what we're called to. Yeah, like, yeah. And there's also, we are specifically talking about, in the context of this passage, at least Luke 17, that this is someone that sinned against you. This is not someone sinned in general. There are other passages that speak to confronting someone about sin. That's not this passage specifically. This is the someone has sinned against you passage. Um, so not to say that that's not what I'm, I, I believe exactly what you're saying. A lot of times that's what we're talking about, though, in that context is someone has sinned in general. Am I just supposed to not say anything? Are there places where I'm not willing to follow them and I have to tell them that? Hey, I can't do that. I don't believe that that's what God has called me to. I think that's actually sinning against him. Yeah. I agree. Timeliness of this call to forgive. Hey, Jim, was your question, what are ways originally? Yeah. How, how were <laughs> these yeah. 
Yeah, how, yeah, how can we, what, what are some of the um, false conclusions we can draw from this? You can easily turn this into a workflow. Yes, that's, that's definitely one of them. Um, some other ones that, that he mentions is, you know, unless the perpetrator of wrongdoing is repents, then I'm not obligated to forgive. That's definitely not what this passage is saying. So if we're taking it that way, we're, we're, we're missing the point. Um, yeah. Um, so, so then what is it? What are they teaching? I mean, what is this teaching? That's forgiveness is not optional. Must be equal parts forgive and rebuke. Uh, forgiveness is not merited by enough self-abasement. And then I'm not required to forgive, or I am required to forgive whether the person ever repents or not. You hope that they would. And if it's in the context of believers, that that would still be the goal. That would still be the end goal is the restored nature of that. So it may not be one time. It may be two times of going to that person. It may be following through the, is it Matthew 18's um, uh, call to discipline in that way. So I think that there's a lot of a lot of things at play here. Did you have a, oh, sorry. Okay. So how do we keep these two texts on equal footings in our own mind? Um, We must consider that there's an inward and an outward aspect to forgiveness. Um, In Mark, the call is is an inward desire or willingness to not avenge oneself. In Luke, the call is to reconcile with them, going back to the idea that all this forgiveness is about restored relationships, especially in the community. Um, so Matthew 5.24, be reconciled to your brother. And Matthew 18.15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So in my own mind, this immediately makes me think, <clears throat> Lord, <clears throat> excuse me. Lord, open up my eyes to see the places in my own life that I'm holding a grudge or would love to see some karma slap that person in the face. Um, And also, if that's the case, what must be done to restore that relationship? So if I know that's there, then what am I doing to actively pursue restoration in that relationship? Um, If they've sinned against me, I need to, in humility, knowing my own need for God's grace, go to that person and tell them they have sinned against me. Easier said than done. So we must forgive inwardly, no matter what. Both of these passages are telling us that. Um, but true reconciliation relies on, the outward forget, on outward forgiveness, which relies on repentance and forgiveness. So outward forgiveness cannot be accomplished without inward forgiveness first. Does that make sense? Do do we agree with that statement? That outward forgiveness can only be accomplished if there is first inward forgiveness. God must do something in my own heart to forgive this person before I can truly have a restored relationship. Um, Whether those things are done simultaneously, whether, I mean, that, that may be somewhat of a mystery to us in the way that it happens, but I have to be willing to forgive in, inwardly first before I can ever have any expectation that there could be any possible outward um, forgiveness or restoration. 
I don't think that's controversial, but you never know. So we have two more vocab words from this chapter, um, things I've never heard at least. Um, I'll put them up here. So attitudinal forgiveness and reconciled forgiveness. So Keller says um, there are not two types of forgiveness, but two aspects or stages of forgiveness. Attitudinal forgiveness must always happen while reconciled forgiveness may happen, but is not always possible. Someone sins against you. There's never any restoration in that relationship. That person dies. You no longer have the ability to make that happen. So it's not always, it will not always occur, that restoration. But that is, that's still, um, that's still the call. So it's, one is an always thing and one is a, Hopefully, this actually happens. Um, so for a victim to be open to reconciling, they must have already done some kind of forgiveness in their heart. An unwillingness to repent is not an excuse for ongoing bitterness, uh, which as Hebrews 12.15 says, poisons the soul. True, tr- true Christian forgiveness is not just about inner healing, but truly concerned with the healing of the community. This flies directly in the face of the current secular therapeutic model of forgiveness, which is all about me. Um, So what about justice? Does this idea of forgiveness mean that we are not worried about justice at this point? We can, again, that's another way we can fall off the rails in in the wrong way. No, um, God hates injustice. So, Um, Does this mean that someone that sins against me just gets off scot-free because now we pursue reconciliation and not justice? So, um, absolutely not. Um, So then, how do we seek justice? Any thoughts? Yeah, that's how so many damaged relationships, that's, that's exactly what's happened. You've sinned against me. I no longer want to have anything to do with you, so I'm just going to remove you from my life. I don't have to talk to you anymore. I don't have to be friends with you. That's, that is exactly the opposite of this. So specifically, though, what, how, are we, how do we seek justice in all of this? Tom? Yes. That's going to continuous be, continuously be the underlying aspect of all of this is if I don't recognize and and humble myself to understand that I am in this position, in the same position, um, in need of God's grace, only receiving it because of His love for me, not in anything that I've done to earn it, then absolutely it makes that um, makes it easier to p- pursue that justice. But what He says specifically is that we speak truth and love while not shielding people from the consequences of their actions. So if you, if you steal from me, I can either pursue the consequences that come from that, or I don't have to. It's not, I mean, it's not a command to do that. But in, in this sense of justice is we're not shielding someone from the consequences of their sin. Sins have consequences. We see that in our own lives, I'm sure. Um, and so we're not, we're not actively pursuing covering those consequences or, as you said, oh, it's a forgive and forget and just don't let it, you know. But what you're actually doing is, is preventing that person from 
seeing this, their sin in its correct light and then having to live with the consequences that, are, that come from that. Um, so I think it's important that we're, we keep that in our mind at least. I don't know if he's saying that in every sense, but he's saying ju- in, in the sense of justice, how are we seeking justice? If God truly hates injustices, then how are we seeking his justice? How is, how is the Lord seeking his justice through us? In, and when, again, we're talking, I think we're talking in the context of believers here. So if it's, <clears throat> I don't, if you have an And this idea that I've, <clears throat> I continuously go back to from another study that we went through in care group, I don't even know how many years ago, is the idea of the freedom of being found out. That there is freedom that comes with that sin being exposed. We don't like it. No one wants that. But it's, it is necessary in order to, for God to, sh- to reveal it to us and for us to pursue ridding that sin out of our life. I mean, if it if it's always stays under, if abuse always stays under the radar and no one ever calls it out, it just stays there. It's always it it it's it's not love. It's not what he's calling us to in love here. And I agree that I think that there is a level of we're bearing that um, bearing that burden, bearing the consequences. Even as the, as you said, Blake, um, that we we have to. I think it is somewhat of a balance, but I, I agree with Tom that his focus is for so long this has not been done at all, and we have to we have to stop we have to stop with that. We have to be willing to call sin sin, and we have to be willing to confront others, even if that means there's consequences that have to be um, lived out or whatever. The... Okay, so y'all saw this. It was up here. I'm skipping it because we have. Uh, Two minutes. I, I want because I want this to be the focus, the end focus of this um, this chapter. I think this is where he drives the the point home. Again, this is kind of shifting gears to loving your enemy. Um, so let's read this uh, real quickly. Uh, Matthew five uh, forty three through forty eight. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise upon the, on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax, tax collectors do the same. And if, the, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Martin Lloyd-Jones has a great quote in regards to this, um, this passage. He says, this is a very spiritual teaching. I must be right in my attitude towards myself and the spirit of self-defense that immediately rises when any wrong is done to me. I must also deal with the desire for revenge and the spirit of retaliation that is so characteristic of the natural self. So is that not true of us? Someone sins against us and it is just immediately there. Um, this sense of just someone has done me wrong, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. If, that's, if it immediately leads to back to restoration, 
but it's not that where it goes. It goes to, I'm going to get that person back. I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to, whatever the case is. Um, it's important to note that Jesus was correcting a false belief that was floating around at the time, which stated that um, it was only it was okay to love your neighbor, people of the same race, nationality, and hate your enemy, which was essentially anyone outside of your people. Uh, Jesus is completely destroying that idea here and saying we cannot confine our commitment to the good of others to our own people, not even the community of Christian believers. And as Keller says um, at this point in the chapter, to love those who do not love you is not offered... Oh my goodness, I messed that up. I just lost it. To love those who do not love you is not offered as a piece of pragmatic wisdom, but as a reflection of the character of God himself, who gives a fruitful earth through rain and sun to all people regardless of their motives or character. Our love relationships um, are modeled after... Our love relationships now tend to be modeled... After economic relationships, we invest where we know we will make a profit. Jesus is calling us to a radically different, to radically different lives from the unbelieving world around us. It should be visibly different, and it can only be done in the lives of believers because of the ultimate security we have in and through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, which again goes back to the, the point of if the vertical is not there, can it truly be there? We can... Hash that out later too. And then um, one side note for this, he doesn't necessarily chase this, uh, but I'm always struck by this, is um, I look at the unbelieving world around me and I see horrible things being done to people. I even look back in history to the horrible dictators who caused great atrocities in the world and think I would never do that. Um, we, we have to see that that desire to not commit those crimes before becoming believers. This is before our conversion, um, is only that desire to not do that is only there because of God's common grace to us. Um, so I've heard it said before, I can't remember exactly how it goes, that the only reason I didn't commit the same atrocities as Hitler is because the Lord spared me from that. He gave me, in, in His common grace, He didn't produce that, or that desire was not, He didn't allow that desire to foster in me which is humbling and also really hard to take in sometimes, that I, I am not as bad as I could have been only by God's common grace um, to me anyways. Um, and we can debate on that, I think, if you wanted to. Um, so, But I think it's that perspective that keeps this at the right place. It keeps it where it needs to be. It keeps us in this humble disposition of the Lord has been gracious to me in bringing me to himself and in and through that vertical restored relationship, I now have the ability to to be a part of restoring relationships with others, um, especially in this community. And I think we have to be, I'm saying this to myself, I think we have to be better at doing this, being willing to do this. And it's not because we want to rebuke anyone. That is not what we're, what we're trying to do. We want to see someone um, be made more and more like Christ. And if that is what it takes, then that is what God is doing in and through those relationships. So final thoughts on this chapter.